0: All right, enough of that, enough of that. Good morning, Columbus. Good morning. It is good to be here. I want to, if Bishop can hear me, another round of applause for Bishop Earl Fernandez. How critical it is when the sons of Holy Mother Church gather that our spiritual father is present, amen? amen? You got a good bishop and a good shepherd. Continue to pray for him and for the priests of this diocese. Now, it, it, there's nothing that charges me more than being around a bunch of men. Men who seek a relationship with Christ, men who seek to do the will of God, men who seek to become saints for the church and for the world. And when we, you know, I, I, Father, when he uh, started off in prayer and he was doing the, you know, que viva, and, and we'll talk about whether I'm, not, I'm a Latino or not. <laughs> but there's something to be said about I want to test it out real quick, okay? So you don't have to stand up, but I'm going to do a couple of jumping jacks here, and I'm just going to count one, two, three, and you're just going to go one when I get to that point. You guys got it? Like one, two, three. One. All right, but I want it like loud. Like, we are ready. Like, when once we're done with my jumping jacks, we're going to go fight Satan and his, his evil army. All right? That's, a, that's how loud I want us to be. So don't stand up because I know some of you got coffee and stuff. So are you ready? All right, I'm going to go to about five. Because then I'm going to get really hot if I go to, like, ten. All right? Ready? One, two, three. One, one two, three. Two. One, two, three. One, one two, three. One. one, two, three. One. Did you guys stay One. Okay, I was like, why are we still on one? Anyway. one, two, three, one, one, two, three, two, guys. And then there's three, and then there's four, and then there's five. You're going to get me to ten anyway, huh? All right, brothers. We got a man problem today. A huge, huge man problem today. When you think about men and how they're portrayed in the media, we get the Homer Simpsons, the Al Bundys, and the Charlie Sheens of the world. Or at least that was the old school view. Where we're buffoons, we're dumbed down, we're donut-eating, crotch-scratching imbeciles made fun of at will in the secular media. Fast forward to today, and now we have this is what it means to be a man. The Harry Styles of the world, or the Jaden Smiths, or the Little Nas, which I don't know who he is, but apparently he represents Satan. Um, Literally, if you know who he is. Or you get Jordan Clarkson of the world, who's an NBA player by day, but apparently wears dresses as well to show his manhood. And, of course, we all know. The Leah Thomases of the world who compete against female athletes as a man, and that's masculinity. This is what we face with, we're faced with every single day in the workplace, in the grocery store. Our kids in the public school system are told this is what it means to be a man. How did we get here? Now there's the other pendulum swing where guys like Joe Rogan and Andrew Tate and even Jocko start attracting us men because they have certain signs of virtue and of valor and of strength, but yet they're missing um, the Jesus part. Yet our young men flock to listen to these guys who at the end of the day, and I'll speak to like Andrew Tate, right, who who is a womanizer and lacks the virtue required to be a man of God. So you have the pendulum swing from I got to wear a dress or I got to be a complete womanizing, condescending, self-serving, governed by my passions type of man. So how do we get here? I don't know how many of you remember the story in the Bible about Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau were the two sons of Isaac. Esau was the older one. Esau was more of the skilled hunter, while Jacob was more of a homebody. Some of us can relate. So Esau comes back from a day of hunting, while Jacob is sitting there stirring a a pot of porridge, lentil soup, and what does Esau tell him? Give me a bowl of that lentil soup, for I am famished. And what does Jacob tell him? Well, give up your birthright. And then I'll give you a bowl of lentil soup. And Esau says, what good is a birthright when I'm about to die? I'm starving. And of course, Esau gives up his birthright for a bowl of lentil soup. Seems kind of silly, right? If you understand that in the Jewish context the firstborn with the birthright of all the honor, the responsibility that comes with that, to give that away for a bowl of lentil soup seems idiotic. Amen? But what about us today, brothers? How many of us are giving away our marriages, our families, our purity, our innocence, our faith, For a bowl of lentil soup, for a bowl of pornography, for a bowl of masturbation, for a bowl of lustful thoughts, for a bowl of pluralism, for a bowl of I just want to fit in, for a bowl of mmm, I don't really want to go there with those people. Father and bishop can evangelize, not my call. Mm, Wrong. What is your bowl of lentil soup? What is our bowl of lentil soup? So let me give you a little bit background, right? Of course, I'm coming in hot. You're like, dang, John, I'm here at the men's conference, brother. Isn't that a start? (laughs) But a lot of times when we as speakers get up here, there's an automatic assumption that you don't know what struggle is, John. You don't know what hardship is, John. You don't know what the challenges I've had in faith are, John. The struggle out here in Columbus is real, man. So let me give you a little background on me. I'm from the island of Guam, so for those of you who thought I was Latino, I got you. It's a Pacific island. Any of my military vets in here probably know it, especially the Navy ones, right? But Guam, I was born on the island of Guam. I was born into the family of God 27 days after I was born physically. Guam at that time was a a very Catholic island, not so much today, unfortunately. But in that time, my parents knew enough that I needed to be baptized, I needed to be brought into the family of God 27 days after I was physically born. Left Guam when I was three. But unfortunately for me, my catechesis, my understanding of the faith stopped literally at the first or second grade, age of six or seven. Essentially when I left... Parochial school. So I had the education of faith as a second grader would. How does that work out in the real world, if that's all the education you have? So I was immature in my faith. On top of that, I had an alcoholic for a father. So any of those of you who have struggled with alcoholism yourself or came from that background, I don't even have to explain to you the humiliation, the trauma that comes with that type of environment. So I was exposed to physical abuse, mental abuse, emotional abuse every day. And oh, by the way, I was also sexually molested by a family member by the age of 10. So by 10 years old, my idea of God, my idea of self, my idea of other, my idea of Christ, my idea of church was completely stripped upside down, turned around, my purity gone, my innocence stripped which makes sense that I would, for the first time, get arrested by age 12, because I ran with the wrong crowd. Me and my two older siblings in particular ran with the gang related, because broken people find broken people, and hurt people hurt people. And so I lived a very wayward life away from God, but thanks be to him and our lady, they knew I needed to meet my wife in high school. So I met her as a sophomore. One of the, the questions she asked me as I was trying to court her was, do you believe in God? And at that point, I like to say I, I did. But I was also trying to court her, to be candid, right? So I'm like, yeah, I believe in God. Now, my wife comes from a non-religious background. She comes from divorce. She comes from abuse. She comes from all kinds of trauma as well. She's been on our own since she was 16. I've been on my own since I was 17. We know what struggle is. Matter of fact, putting us together, we were like a match made in hell. So here we are. We get married young. We had a family young. And we aspire to do better than what we experienced because we both come from Nothing. So we went ahead and we both went to graduate school. We got the dream car. We got the dream house. We were fit. We were in shape. We were smart. Kids were beautiful. And my wife says one day, I feel dead inside. And she knew she was missing something. We had everything else figured out except for the spiritual piece. So we started church hopping. I was being a spiritual sloth at that point. So we start church hopping, we go to Protestant churches, that's where she was kind of exposed to at a minimum. I never really felt at home, and then we ended up at my previous home parish in California, St. Joseph's, and she said, God is here, we need to start coming here. And I always felt comfortable with that, it was a Catholic church. Now in retrospect, we look back on it, we know that's the true presence. What she was describing was the real presence, the body, blood, soul, and divinity present to us in the Holy Eucharist. So we start coming back to the church. We get our marriage convalidated because we didn't get married in the church. We get our kids right-sized. They get back, to, you know, we get their sacraments done. She comes into church in 2004. I come into. I get confirmed as an adult in 2005. Now, I'd like to be able to say, that was it. That's when, you know, I met Jesus and life was good. <clears throat> I was wounded. I was playing hokey pokey with God in the church. I had one foot out, one foot out. You guys know hokey pokey? put your right foot in, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? I was doing that, right? With God and with the church. I didn't realize, brothers, how much those father wounds affected my own relationship with the heavenly father. But my wife, she was catching the fire for the faith. And she would have stuff, I would be walking in the room, she got Mother Angelica on TV. She put crossing the goal. Some of you, I think you've had crossing the goal. She put that on the TV and be like, oh, look at these guys on TV. I'm like, yeah, I'm cool. Football on or something. And she got tired of pulling the wagon, pulling the train. I have a daughter and two sons. They were getting older. And if it was anything like my experience, right, I had, Two bro- uh, three brothers and a sister, we would look and my dad never showed up to church. So it was just like, we don't want to go to church either. Dad's not there. How do we get in that plan? My mom lost that fight. Stop bringing us. Because we would fight her every single weekend to not go to church. She remained faithful, but her husband wasn't, and therefore the kids fell. So my wife is experiencing some of the same things and, and I was battling with some serious demons. There was things from my past trauma, from all of the abuse, from my poor self-image that were manifesting itself in ugly behaviors, brother. And so my wife was like, I'm done with you. I want somebody who lives like Christ. That's what I read in Ephesians 5. And so here we are on the verge of divorce. We're separated. I have a, you know, Tumultuous relationship with my kids because all of this stuff going on. i getting ready to lose my job because I can't focus because everything that mattered to me is about to be gone. So we're separated and I'm clocking hours every day in adoration. Fortunately for me, that home parish had perpetual adoration. And when I say clocking hours, I don't mean like one hour a week. I mean one, two, three, sometimes four hours every day. That's all I had. My family was trying to, because my family's broken, they're trying to like, hey, just move on. Everybody that I was around was trying to say, "Uh, you you should just leave. It's not working out. You just fell out of love. Encouraging me to leave my family. So I just, me and God. So I would be in adoration and one of my brothers who I went to college with, he had caught the fire for the faith. He had noticed that, wow, John's clocking a lot of hours here. So he posed a question to me one time as we were walking out. Hey, John, you want to go with me to a men's conference? And I'm like, yeah, I'll go to your a men's conference. I had been to men's conferences before, but not when I was in this shape. So here we are at this men's conference. I'm crying the entire time. There was an on-fire Franciscan friar, big burly dude from the Bronx, exhales angel. He was just spitting fire to my heart, right? I'm just like, I'm crying like a, like a baby. I don't mean like little tears strolling down your, ear, your eyes, you know, your cheeks. I was like... So my friends are like, what is going on with John over there? But I was broken. So during lunch, much like we'll have the time here, there was confession. So I beelined over to the confessional. And I start to pour out my heart and my soul to the priests, confessing every sin that I can ever think of, even ones I've already confessed. Much like what we call a general confession in the church. And the priest walks around from behind the screen, and he says, praise God for the remorse that you feel in your heart. Do you mind if I do the deliverance prayer over you? And at that point, I'm still an idiot Catholic, right? I'm deliverance prayer. That sounds good. Let's do that. So he pops out a crucifix bigger than my head, pops it on my forehead, breaks out the book of prayers, and starts to do the deliverance prayer over me in Latin. So I'm over here, eyes swollen. I'm going through some kind of ecstasy, right? I'm like, what is going on? I'm looking through the cross. What is happening to me right now? So he gives me my penance, my absolution, and then he douses me with holy water. It wasn't like a little sprinkle with a little bottle. It was like the Holy Spirit needed a whole bucket back here, right? So he's like, foof, foof, foof. Gives me my penance and absolution, and then for the next 45 minutes, brothers... I go and lay in the chapel where the blessed sacrament was exposed in the monstrance right at the foot of the altar. I laid there for 45 minutes and it was just me and God. And I cried like the blind man of Bartimaeus. Son of David, have pity on me. I cried from that belly. Jesus, I need you. You got to fix this. I'm getting ready to lose my wife, my kids, my job. Everything that matters to me is about to be gone. You're all I have. I'm going to give my life to you. I don't even know what that means, but you're all I have. Fix this. And for the first time, as a grown man, the first time, I felt held as a son. For the first time, I felt loved by a father. Catapulted me into the man on fire. I said yes that day. I said yes, brothers, even when I thought it's over. When I had that wrestling moment with Christ and Jesus, I said, I guess we're going to become good friends. (laughs) Because I ain't got nothing else. And in that yes, I began the healing process. I started healing myself. My marriage was starting to be healed. My relationship with my kids was starting to be healed. God started to use the gifts that I had that I was using to be the devil's puppet for his glory and for the salvation of souls. So what was at stake at that point and what is it now? This is what I was fighting for. I'm right, I'm right behind my wife. To the right of me is my oldest son, Keone. His wife, Michelle, my grandbaby, Gianna. Michelle is actually pregnant with one of the first Sablon boys. Next to me is my daughter. She's the oldest. And her husband, Jamie, and my godson, Micah. And below is is our first granddaughter, baby, Isabel. And then my youngest son is over to the far left with his wife. And they're pregnant with our first or our second baby, Sablon. Yeah, we can clap that up. So, quite candidly, brothers, I was selling all of that. And by the way, praise be to God, all of my kids as adults are practicing the faith. Not just practicing the faith, evangelizing. Evangelizing. My son-in-law came into the church, my two daughter-in-laws who were Baptized Catholic, came back to the church, and now we live out this family ministry called World Blaze. And now my, granddaughter, my grandchildren will never know what my wife and I went through. Because I almost sold my birthright for a bowl of lentil soup. This is all of our problem. The problem in the world today that we see in society with this false understanding of masculinity, with this gender ideology being shoved down our throats, even the problem in the priesthood, in the hierarchy, can all go right back to we men. We lack authentic, biblical men, amen? We don't even understand our call. Maybe you do, and I pray that you do. At the end of this day, you know what it means that what God is calling to us is that we were designed for greatness. And we can't let the worldly things distract us. We can't allow what the world tells us is real manhood to define who God designed us as men. Because honestly, brothers, I was that guy. We have abdicated our responsibility. Much like Esau gave up his birthright. Let's go back to it. We're going to hear about the, in the reading tomorrow, we're hearing about the fall. We hear about Adam and Eve. And really what was Adam's sin of omission and commission. So when Adam was created, we hear the creation story. And if you ever meditated on it, you should, brothers. But Adam was given dominion over all of creation. Yes? You with me? God gave him everything and said, till and keep. And oftentimes, what do we think about till and keep? We think he had to be a good gardener or what? Till the soil. Make sure there's plenty of room for tomatoes and jalapenos to make good salsa. I don't know. What is tilling to keep? In Hebrew language, those words, respectively, are "abad" and "shamar." "Abad" as being work in the form of service, and "shamar" as being to uh, to protect and defend. So, Adam's first charge, the charge of every man today, is to serve, protect, and defend all of creation, most especially our women and our children. Amen. How are we doing? How are we doing? Do our young men see that being lived out? Do our young women who are being trafficked, abused, objectified, used, thrown away in this throwaway culture, in the culture of death, do they see us living out the call of every man as God defined? No. We sit there and we point. We're so concerned about the splinter. Oh, it's the Pope's fault. It's the Bishop's fault. It's Father's fault. Do they have a play in this? 100%. But they're not raising the families out here. We are. They're not the one called to serve in the way that we are if you're called to the married vocation. Now, they have a tough job, Bishop and our priest. Why? Because we're their bride. (laughs) And we're crazy. And we got problems. It's always funny, I had one priest ask me because I'm in permanent diaconal formation. He's like, "John, what do you think about married priests?" I'm like, "I'm thinking, who wants two wives, man? What are you talking about? No disrespect to my Eastern right brothers, but how are we doing with that call? And what's crazy about this? When I talk about sin of omission and, and commission, we'll hear it in the gospel, or I'm sorry, in the reading tomorrow from the whole test a testament. But if you read through that, we know that the serpent slithers his way in. He dupes Eve. Adam's there. He's not doing anything. And then he also, also takes and eats of the fruit of the tree. And so he, the sin of omission is he doesn't do anything. He doesn't pr- protect her. He doesn't guide her. And the sin of commission is by accepting it from her, she assumed the leadership role. Yet when God, when, when they go and hide, who does, who does God call out for? Eve or Adam? Adam. Adam. He calls to the man. When God cast out the two from Eden, who does he cast out? Adam or Eve? You're like, I don't know, John. Go read your Bible. It's the man. So God, when the, 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 the fall happens, he calls to the man. And when he casts them out, from, he, he casts out the man. Who gives Eve her names twice? Adam. Calls her woman, calls her Eve. Do you see and now understand the Christian patriarchy and why it's important? With everybody today, the world says what? That equality means sameness. That we got to be the same in order to be equal. We're equal in the dignity of God, but we're complementary and unique for a reason. We were created male and female for a reason. My wife is the queen of our house, but she knows I'm the king. You with me? And she's a strong woman. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for her. But roles are important. So we've abdicated the role as a spiritual leader. And as Bishop was talking, I was kind of chuckling to myself. Right? Because he's talking about spiritual entrepreneurship. And I was going to be talking to you about being the bishop of your home. Ironic, right? I work in corporate America. I work right now. I work in technology and cybersecurity. That's my day job. So I was kidding with the group last night at the table. I'm like, by day, I, I keep people from stealing your data. By night, I keep people from stealing your soul. Really, it's 24-7. Yeah, yeah. You can use that if you want. If there's any cybersecurity guys out here. But I thought it was, you know, the Holy Spirit working. Like, Bishop's talking to us about being a spiritual entrepreneurship, and I'm talking to you about being the bishop of your home. As priest, prophet, and king. Baptized Christians, born into the common priesthood of Christ, that we have a responsibility to be priests, prophets, and kings in our own communities, most especially in the family. The domestic church is the solution to all of the world's problems. Amen? Why do you think the world attacks it so hard? Why are they coming after marriage? Why are they coming after the family? Why do they want to raise our kids? Because if we don't do it, don't worry, they'll do it for us. Our watch. Our children. Some of you brought them here today. I told the group last night because I was on fire. I think they asked one question and I was talking for like 20 minutes. And I was just getting heated up like I get heated up now. And I said, you know what? I'm not about sparing feelings. I'm about saving souls. I don't care what you think. I care what what Christ thinks. I used to care about what you thought. I got caught up in all the worldly nonsense. And my family almost suffered. So what do we got to do, brothers, to ensure that we're not selling off our birthright for a bowl of lentil soup? What do we have to do to, to reclaim The Christian patriarchy that is really an X factor in this world today. Manhood isn't defined by your promotion or how much material wealth that you can accumulate. Manhood isn't defined by how big you are or how strong you are or what you can bench. Manhood is defined strictly by the cross as Jesus Christ is exemplar man as we are supposed to live out our manhood. Amen? Amen. So how do we do that? I'm going to break it down in kind of two different ways. One is the Petrine ministry. And it's great to have Bishop here because I can play off of it. His triple obligation is duty, of which we get the same duty, our priests get the duty from, the deacons get the duty from, is to teach, to govern, and to sanctify. You'll hear often said in the church world language, triple manura. We, especially if you're called to the married vocation, are called to teach, govern, and sanctify. How's that going for you right now? Can you teach what you don't know? Can you love that what you don't know? So I'm a a life-professed daughter order Dominican, both my wife and I. So we live according to the spirituality of St. Dominic. So when you talk about St. Thomas Aquinas, one of the most brilliant, if not the most brilliant mind of the church... That resonates with me. Or St. Catherine of Siena who said, if you are who God made you to be, you would set the world ablaze. We often, and it kills me, especially when it comes to men's conferences, like, John, you don't want to go hard on them, man. The guys, you know, they're not ready for it. John, that's a little bit over the head, man. I don't know if they're ready for it. I'm like, that's funny. I thought we were men. Amen. You'll run through a brick wall for your family, yes? You'll spend all day rooting for your team, even if you know they're going to lose, yes? Paint yourself up, look like an idiot, but you're a diehard. Right? When they call us fanatics. I had a family member tell me one time, John, no, we're, not everybody's fanatic about the faith like you are. I'm like, is she calling me a Jesus freak? And I'm like, oh, you mean Fanatic? Like how you are with college football? Or you mean fanatic like you are with basketball? Or you mean fanatic like you are with soccer? Or fanatic as you are with bingo? Yeah, I'm good being a Jesus freak. So in our Petrine ministry, go ahead, we clap for that one. We clap for that one. So in our Petrine ministry, What are we called to do? Teach, govern, sanctify. Are we growing in the knowledge of the faith, brothers? This is obviously a good start. I mean, it's crazy to look out and see 2,000 men come together to learn and grow, not in just knowledge of the faith, but in your relationship with our Lord through our Blessed Mother. That's critical. But it's easy being Catholic around a bunch of Catholics, amen? Yeah, when you walk out into the concrete jungle of Columbus and get punched in the face by Satan and his minions, then what? Where's bishop? Where's Catholic, where's Catholic men's ministry? No, we cower. We can't even be faithful in the, in the workspace today, right? People will be like, hey, what are you? And this is how we respond. Catholic, what? Christian, what? Spiritual. What does spiritual mean today, right? I'm just a good person? Are you, being, are you learning your faith so you can defend your faith? Are you witnessing? Bishop was talking about it. Are you providing the witness of which the world can see holy and virtuous men that they want to aspire to be? I'm still looking at some young men in here. Are we being that example for them where they look at us and go, man, I want to catch what he got. Or they look at us like a bunch of buffoons, imbeciles, watered down in our faith. Oh, we got the Catholic butt. and I don't mean your posterior. I'm Catholic butt. No, I don't go to mass every week. I'm Catholic, but I don't really pray every day. I'm Catholic, but do we really have a problem with same-sex marriage? Yes. Oh, yeah, I know. Yes, absolutely. Thanks, brother. That was a rhetorical question. Yes, we do. Okay, some of you out there are confused. But do you are, you, are you the Catholic butt? Are you the cafeteria Catholic? Do you understand what it is about our faith? Do you govern the things that God has given you? Think about Solomon for a second, right? When God was pleased with what he did, he said, I'll grant you whatever you want. What did Solomon ask for? Wisdom. Are you asking God on your knees every day, every day, for the wisdom that you need, for the gifts that he's entrusted to you to be a good steward of those gifts. That's your wife, your kids, the, your next door neighbor, your, your employer, your employees t- employer's time. For you as kids, your schoolwork are you being faithful to what it is God calls you to right now? Are you sanctifying your work? Or are you just kind of, hmm, going about it in a lackadaisical, lukewarm way? Do you govern with the same perspective as Christ calls us to? And do you sanctify the soul's that entrusted to you. Some of you have seen that, man, as you want to talk about the battle for your own soul, right? What do I say in that that episode? How are you going to save the soul of your wife or your kids when you don't save the soul for yourself? You can't save somebody when you're not saved. So the Petron ministry. There's the other part to that, which is the Marian ministry. Bishop kind of touched on this too when he was talking about our Blessed Mother, Our Lady. And that's a threefold mission. So we've got our Petrine ministry. We know we're priest, prophet, king. We know we've got the Petrine ministry. We've got to teach, govern, and sanctify. And then, oh, here comes our Blessed Mother. We need to receive the Word of God. We need to believe the Word of God. And we need to bear forth and conceive the Word of God. You with me? You need to receive believe, and conceive the word of God every single day. As our lady did in the Annunciation, as she did it in the Visitation, she was the first Ark of the Covenant, she was the first monstrance, she was the first tabernacle. She shows us the most perfect Christian disciple by simply saying, yes, Lord, let it be done unto me according to thy word. But that takes A prayer life. I think one of the Ps that Bishop said was prayer. And I would say that's obviously the fundamental staple of everything we do. Are you a prayerful man? If you can't hear God, I would say, are you even listening? Do you create quiet in your day, silence in your day to even hear what God is telling you? Or you want to put him on pause? Put him on mute so you can tell him what you think. He needs to do. Our lady, through her most immaculate heart, through her own receiving of God's word and believing in that with everything she had, she was able to bear forth not just Jesus incarnate, the word made flesh, but actually expose the world to the ministry we're called to in evangelization. That we are also called to enculturate the world with Christ. Amen. My brothers, it is good that we're here. But this is only the beginning. When Bishop was talking about the story of Lot, some of you, if you've not read that story, you should. You know, one of the things that the Lord was saying during that time was, you need to flee for your life and don't look back. Lest you will be consumed by it. Jesus tells us in the gospel what? What? Whoever puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit to be my disciple. If I look back on my life and I look back like Lot's wife did to all the sin that defined me up until the point of conversion, I don't got a shot, brothers. As Pope St. John Paul II says, you are not the sum total of your failures or your sins. You were made for more. You were called to greatness. You have to believe that the birthright that we were given as men means something. And that you will fight with everything you have to live it out the way God calls us to. The way God designed us to. And don't make excuses. Don't be soft with it. Don't throw yourself a pity party. But especially during the season of Lent, we're four days removed from Ash Wednesdays, brother. How many of you have already fallen, right? You don't have to raise your hand. But are we entering into this most holy season with the right mentality that we have a responsibility and obligation to grow in our relationship with our Lord? Don't be, and this drives me nuts, Ash Wednesday Mass was about an hour and 45 minutes because everybody that doesn't really go to Ash Wednesday Mass showed up because of our superstition that if we don't get ashes on our forehead, we're going to die. So we have the mark of a Christian, but we walk around and live as an atheist. That's not us. That's not your call. Remember your birthright. So, one of the ways to grow in our spirituality, most specifically with our Lord, is through our lady. And as I kind of cue this up, how many of you are familiar? Those I know that that man is you group is familiar with the mysteries of the rosary put on by Paradise's Day. actually got released on Ash Wednesday. And if you sign up for it, there's seven episodes that will talk you through the sorrowful mysteries. So maybe you're going, all right, John, I'm picking up what you're laying down, I'm buying what you're selling, I don't really get this whole blessed mother thing. Cool. Mark Hartfield of Paradise's day and them took a journey to the holy land to be at the actual places of where the mysteries were lived and will walk us through in a very powerful way The mysteries of those rosaries so we can have a profound encounter through this Lenten season with our Lord through our Blessed Lady. So I think, Matt, are we good to show that now? Is that what we're doing? All right.
1: Um, John Petrovich, really normal guy, just a good dude from um, a place called Green Tree, just a little north of Pittsburgh. And uh, he's jogging around a neighborhood he doesn't usually jog around and I see an ambulance in somebody's driveway. He's a good guy, so it's was like, should I stop? Should I see if anything's okay? And I think he just thought, you know, I'm not a doctor. I don't know whose driveway this is. So he said, Father Joe, I just kept running and I prayed one Hail Mary. And he said, I didn't think anything of it. The next week he's jogging around the same neighborhood and uh, he hears a, a, a woman call for him. And uh, he said he kept running because he didn't, uh, you know, didn't know anybody in the neighborhood. Then finally she got his attention and he turns around and he's at me. And she says, y- yeah, you. And she says, you saved my life. And John, I don't, we don't know each other, we don't know anybody from this neighborhood. She says, no, I recognize your face. She says, last week I was rushed to the hospital on an ambulance and I was dying. And, uh, and I knew I was dying and Jesus appeared to me. And he held out his hand and your face was on the palm of his hand. And Jesus said, you are going to die. But because of the prayer of this man, you're going to live. So that's the power of one Hail Mary. What a jolt that was for not only my prayer life, but my family's prayer life, our outlook on prayer itself. and, And especially prayers of intercession. When somebody asks you to pray for them, or you volunteer to pray for somebody. You never know, you never expect how it's gonna work out, because in the end, it's always God's will. But in a case like this, to have something that dramatic and profound, somebody come up and tell you something like that, was more than enough to take me back and draw me even that much more closer to praying to the Blessed Mother. Because as we all know, she is the direct line of intercession to her son, Jesus Christ, in answering all prayers for everyone.
0: All right, brothers, if you haven't signed up for that, if you want to lead a parish group, you want to lead your family, if you just want to go through it yourself, it is a, it's a free series offered to anybody that signs up to it, and it's a great way to enter into the life of Christ through the meditation of the Most Holy Rosary. And I just want to end on this, that it is good that we're here, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to be around a bunch of Catholic men who seek a greater relationship with our Lord, who seek to learn more about their faith and who seek to live out their call to biblical manhood. But brothers, it can't stop here. If what you take today fizzles out in a week, you miss the point. The church and therefore the world is in trouble today. Not just with our youth, but with the family as a whole. And when we reclaim our birthright in the Christian patriarchy that we were called to, to be holy men of God who are only focused on growing in virtue and dying for all those that God entrusted to us, we can change the world. We can change the church. God bless you. I'll be praying for you. Please pray for me.